it's just interesting people, smart people, industries, and then just work hard, figure out what game you're playing, learn the rules, play it well, and enjoy the ride. My name's Isabel, and this is your Product Thinking Toolbox. Theo Tava is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder at Late Checkout, a product studio and agency that designs and creates community-based products. He has been managing teams for over a decade and is here today to share insights on how to turn teams into communities to unlock their full potential. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Theo. I'm pretty excited for us to chat and get into your brain a little bit. Me too. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. So maybe let's start with the reason why I reached out in the first place, because looking at your profile and looking at your career path, you have honestly one of the fastest career paths I've seen. You started off as a PM from five by, and then you got acquired to stumble upon. And then you went into luxury retreats, Airbnb, and then now you're COO of Late Checkout. So maybe just to start, how did you get here? Let's give the audience a little story about your career. Happy to. I mean, you make it sound speedy. That was also over 11 <laughs> years. So it's, it feels like it's been a minute, but to know it was looking back, it's all a blur. I actually started in the beer industry. So way back was in merchandising marketing. Beer was really, you know, cool for me as a college kid. I wasn't one of those like, Oh, how did the entrepreneur start? Oh, well, they played video games and were taking apart computers. Like that was not me at all athlete wasn't on my computer a ton from, you know, age, whatever X to 18, um, got into it in college and then was like, what job could I do that would allow me to go to school full-time and also make a living and also connect with a bunch of cool people, friends, et cetera, and have fun. And I had a buddy in the beer industry, worked at Molson Coors and, you know, Molson originated in Montreal, huge brewery here, owns a lot of other breweries. And I joined that team. And uh, I got to say, it was really fun for two years and then really not fun. Um, <laughs> very tiring, a lot of late nights, a lot of parties, which again, was all cool for a 22 year old um, in college. But at the end of the day, like I got tired of the boat cruises where you were stuck on a, on a ship with 400 drunk people from 9 PM to three in the morning, just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Um, and then I rekindled my relationship with Greg. I really wanted to get into tech. I'd been, you know, MySpace, stumble upon ironically, which I ended up going and working for these websites. I start to use more and more and start to kind of take note of behavior patterns on the internet and more and more people using it. Um, and it was exciting. And so I wanted to join tech. So I reached out to Greg on Twitter. And this is Greg Eisenberg, right? Greg Eisenberg, yeah. My current co-founder and the CEO of Late Checkout. And at that time, kind of ran into him at a university course. He was actually a guest speaker and like no judging way. pitches in my entrepreneurship class. And I was like, why is this kid my age judging my pitch? Like, where, where's he coming from? What's his deal? And uh, he looked familiar at it. I'd met him five, six years prior or, or a couple years prior. And um, I reached out to him. I was like, what are you up to? And he said, I'm starting this startup if you want to come check it out. I did it for free. Just wanted to get involved. You know, long story short, 5 by turned into a pretty successful video startup. We were trying to disrupt 
um, you know, video on the internet and specifically mobile video and how to find what to watch. And at the time, mobile video was exploding. So we did that, got acquired like in nine months, uh, which was record time, I would say, and uh, moved to the Bay Area. Um, moved into product. I didn't join Five By as a product manager because I had no idea what a product manager was. Right. I had no idea what tech really meant at that point in 2011. I wasn't 2012. I wasn't really in the game yet. So it was kind of a fun foray into that world to see what startups were like and looking at code and understanding, you know, growth hacks and how to do some guerrilla marketing and figure out just everything A to Z as like one of the first employees and one of the only employees on how to get this thing to work. How do you know when you were starting to do product as a whole? Because you mentioned you didn't know what product was. What made you say, oh, maybe I am a product manager right now? Yeah, that came when, so we had a team and as we grew, Greg got further from the product and he was more strategic, helping more with stumble upon and their strategy and helping more kind of in other areas and, and really focused on growth, right? On how to get more users and how to grow this thing and how to solve the problem we are to solve. And so I channeled that and realized, you know, I kind of fell into the role of, hey, I'm actually kind of dictating and defining what the user needs, what their problems are, empathizing, speaking to users a lot because I was head of content. So I was running all the content. So I was listening to people on what they liked, what they didn't, looking at metrics. And then before I knew it, I was writing requirements, working with the design team and the engineering team to figure out what our roadmap would be and what features to build. And lo and behold, I was launching apps and doing that with Greg and releasing iteratively and listening to clients and just trying to figure it out. And so at that point, I, I was like, you know what, I think I understand now more what a product manager does. And I think that's what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And now you are COO. <laughs> so. And lo and behold, a couple more iterations, a couple breaks in between, more product. Yeah. More, more. Okay. I, I really love product. I also really love managing people and I also really love business strategy. So a little bit of a transition there into business strategy and operations and people management. And that was at Airbnb and uh, made the leap to COO at late checkout where, you know, I'm also acting head of product. So it's like a really fun kind of balance of everything I love in one melting pot. I mean, you have discounted your career trajectory by saying 11 years is not a short time at all but it is a short time from you getting from marketing all the way to COO so what do you think has been the biggest challenge of moving or pivoting so quickly especially in completely different domains too yeah it's a great question I think one of the challenges is like as you move just checking in with yourself on like is this what you want to be doing um, and that's something I had to do at Airbnb with product and Airbnb, again, I got into Airbnb through an acquisition from Luxury Retreats. So I was PM at Luxury Retreats, one of their first ones. We got acquired, you know, 18 months later after I joined and about a year into that, it was, there are two paths, product or, you know, strategy and ops and people management. And I was a very natural people manager. So just checking in with yourself on, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? What path is going to help me on kind of my mission and what I want to do and who I want to serve. And so 
checking in your health when you're moving quickly and making all these moves, just like don't discount the value of like taking a breath and, you know, it's okay to be patient. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to like take a step back and take vacation when, you know, you're in a startup environment. It sometimes feels like there's no room to even like go to sleep, but uh, at the end of the day, that will bite you in the ass. And uh, again, the body keeps score, I think is the saying. So the body will keep score. And I think it's important to just chill. And then like, there's a bit of imposter syndrome for everyone. I think when they're moving into roles, they're not familiar with, um, or they've never done before. Like, look at me, COO. Yeah, that is a title that I have. I'm very proud of it. I've never done it before. I'm doing it now. I think I'm doing an okay job, but like, you want to be COO, go start a company and be COO, you know, like you don't have any prior experience. So I think uh, a lot of it's earned, but a lot of it's learning on the job. And I think everyone's kind of learning and has a bit of that imposter syndrome. Yeah, I resonate with that completely. I think also a lot of people probably can also resonate with that. So what I'm hearing then is if someone is trying to be ambitious and scaling their career, is it to just start something? You had more of like a combination of starting something and finding the right people to work with. What is the advice that you think you'll give those people who are ambitious at scaling their career? And what's the sweet spot between that? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I'd first ask why, like, why are you ambitious and scaling your career? There's a natural drive in people to want to do better and, and continue to level up as, as we say at late checkout. And of course, I vibe with that. That's awesome. Keep, keep, stay hungry, keep going after it, like go for it, but figure out why you want to become a senior product manager or grow into this role or be a level X at your company or run something. Is that really what you want to do? So figure out why exercise some form of patience, like don't sacrifice the real good stuff, which is the journey and is the learning and is the people to just move faster. I would say speed is great, but at what cost? So just take a second to stop and smell the roses at times and just exercise a bit of patience. But what I did, and and I think what you articulated well was look for smart people, smarter than you in industries that are interesting and that are growing, right? Like for me, video and mobile were huge when I joined tech. That ended up taking off and acquisition and then oh, luxury travel and travel and that kind of blend of tech and travel and OTAs and all of that, that entire world. Cool. I went and joined that with some smart entrepreneurs and people that took off, got acquired and now late checkout community for us. Community is the answer to so many things and disconnection is and lack of connection is such a problem that for me, we think community, we're taking a bet on it and know that it has massive upside. And so for us positioning ourselves at late checkout and me moving there, it's just interesting people, smart people, industries, and then just work hard, figure out what game you're playing, learn the rules, play it well, and enjoy the ride. Let's unpack the game right now that you're playing in, which is community-based products. So maybe give us a rundown of like, what is or are community-based products and why do they matter right now in, in the game or in society? Yeah, sure. So community-based products or CBPs, as we call them, Um, they've been around for a while. I think it's just creating a term and creating a a category around them and really making a point to focus on them was something that Late Checkout was very intentional about and for good reason. So a community-based product, think of it as the community either is the product or enhances the product experience and is the main growth driver or could be the main growth driver. So if you go into Twitter today and that community is not there, that product is 
has zero value, right? You're tweeting to no one, you're consuming nothing. It, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's meant for multiplayer. So community is the product. Reddit community is the product. Figma, Notion, these products, Boss Babe, for example, these types of products and companies, community really enhances the product. Community, without the community, the product would not be as enticing, have as much of a moat, or be as cool and badass as they are today because of the people around who contribute to it, who are there with you when you're collaborating or when you're working, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of community enhancing the product and community driving growth. Mm. And when you say community-based products, it sounds almost like product-led growth habit loops and principles but on steroids, it sounds like you really need it to start, like give, maybe give us an example of one of your favorite community-based products that you, you have done at Lee Checkout. So we are a consultancy or an agency, like you mentioned, we have, that's like one of our, we're, we're essentially a hold co and we create products under that hold co. And our first product was our consultancy, our agency, where we help Fortune 500s, cool startups, figure out their community-based product strategy, we do product design, we kind of, you know, unpack opportunities, turn them into insights, and then define a strategy design and go. We also start a bunch of other companies, launch a bunch of other experiments that we think are really interesting um, in the community space. And, you know, 90% of those probably will go to zero or amount to nothing, or we'll kill after three or six months, but we'll take those learnings, we'll re-inject them back into our agency and re-inject them back into new studio projects that we end up starting. And so this allows us to, for someone like me who like is like a serial problem solver, like I just love to like, oh fuck, that's cool. Health and wellness. Like, yeah, let me go solve a problem over there. Oh yeah. Like, right. oh, engagement on like, oh, browsers are broken. How do we think about that? Oh, tokenomics. How do we think about, like, I love all of it. And so for me, it's a dream come true. And it's really a place to be your most creative self. If you are not single problem obsessed and then unpacking that single problem, but you like to be exposed to many problems and help collaborate on that. So picking just one CBP that we've worked on is very challenging for me to come back to your question. We worked on uh, with Soul Savvy, which was a really cool sneaker app. And it wasn't an app before we started with them. They're a Slack community of sneakerheads, 10 different Slack communities, a thousand people in each group sharing beta, essentially like, when's the next sneaker drop? What are the best prices? Where can I get it? What's the new fashion coming out? Like who wants to trade with me? I've got these pair of sneakers, but I want these ones, anyone. So all of this activity is happening in a Slack group in this community, which was super cool and vibrant and really fun to watch. So we helped conceptualize and develop the app that actually just launched, which was, um, which is a really cool product. So that's one and we've worked with, you know, OpenSea, MoonPay, Dropbox, Shopify, all products that aspire to be community-based products or are in service of a community, but maybe aren't quite there yet. So we've helped do some cool innovation with them and thinking around that. Cool. So it's almost like you are the one that validates and tests and discovers almost like how you can leverage community to solve specific problems. And then the tech is almost like a nice to have so if you for example work with dropbox shopify they are more of the you want to be involved in this space let us help you be in that space through your technology did i capture that correctly or is that completely a different model yeah it could be like that it could also be like hey we 
have this big idea. We don't want to use the core team on this because they're, you know, heads down on the problems we're solving and what stock, you know, shareholders are, are expecting we solve, et cetera. We want to deploy X percent of our capital into innovation. You guys go help us figure out what this, you know, solution to this problem could look like or what this could come to be. It's honestly the best job. And so we just get to like take that prompt and go out and do research and again, take that research, the problem they're trying to solve, tease it out, is it the right problem? And then come up with some solutions or generate some insights and come up with some cool product uh, ideas on how to solve that problem and put that forward. Which sounds like a, it, it sounds like an agency uh, or it sounds like a discovery design agency, but you mentioned to me before that you think late checkout is almost like the ultimate product school. Why do you think that's the case? Like, tell us more of why, what do you mean by that? So, and this varies by PM and where they're at in their career. But if you are starting out and you're looking at a break into product or you're early in your product career and you just want to get the reps in, you know, maybe going to another company and writing user stories and playing the product owner and like learning how to read and analyze data and learning how to turn that data into insights. And like that is valuable, hundred percent valuable. I'm not discounting that. What late checkout can do is offer you kind of unparalleled exposure to a lot of problems. And to me, that is just not seen anywhere else in any other industry or any other, you know, company or, or, or whatever else exists out there. And that's the benefit of agencies. Why I think it's the best product school because of the community lens is we actually also go and build products. We're also a studio. And so not only as a PM are you strategizing for the biggest companies in the world, so you're learning about what a senior level PM would do at you know, a Dropbox or a MoonPay or a wherever, but then you're also getting to be boots on the ground, roll up your sleeves, launch your own startup under our umbrella with the funding and support of entrepreneurs who've done it before and kind of learn the ropes that way by actually doing, you know, there's that 70, 20, 10 model of how people actually learn and develop. 70% of it is actually by doing, there'll be the 10% of training that needs to go into it. There'll be the 20% of support from the community, but the bulk of the learning and the growth happen in the doing. And I think that's often sometimes that PMs like miss out on at other companies or bigger codes as they want to do, but what they end up doing is a lot of admin and wrangling instead of shipping. Um, and that's not consistent for every company. Don't want to knock all the great co's out there that are doing product right or trying. Uh, but yeah, I think late checkout has an edge there. I'm curious too, that there's always specific frameworks that specific companies use because it has been maybe traditional or some type of way that they've done product. It can be like the big web behemoths like Google, Amazon, or it can be specific scale-ups, for example, they've done product a certain way. Given that you're solving so many different problems and different types of solutions, how do you look at process in, in, in your team? Do you have process? Asking the COO if we have process. Fuck, I hope so. Exactly. Um, but honestly, like, I love the term, like PMs love minimum viable product, like minimum viable process is something is still our MVP and our version of it. 
what you're trying to do is essentially increase, improve efficiency, keeping quality high or even in, in improving quality without compromising focus. And so process isn't meant to get in the way. It's meant to actually get you out of your own way. And so we don't want people to worry about where to put this document or where, who to ask for help when, or when to present and check in. That should all just be reflex. That should all be second nature. And sometimes, you know, if you're leaning into like a Netflix model of people over process or whatever it may be, the people will take initiative and will do that. But I'm more of the mind that if you set up the systems that you know work, almost treat them like recipes and refine them as you go. And you know, you need to add a little more salt or take away a little bit of whatever you do that, but to stand them up so that people have something to follow and like product, you have a hypothesis, you put out a process to solve that problem, and then you iterate, iterate, iterate. So we have a process around how we do design sprints from A to Z. So how we stand up decks, what wireframe templates do we use, how we design and present the work, how we you know, componentize the Figma file before we hand it off to the client, how we name things. That's all standardized so we can really create a system that scales and also one that allows people to just be their most creative selves. Fair. I'm curious to unpack that a little bit more, but I know you're a fan of recipes slash equations. And I kind of want to dig more into that because you did mention once about the five quote unquote math equations. I think it was productivity, impact, power, culture, and influence. And I kind of want to dig more into that. Sure. Specifically, you mentioned, let's say impact for now. You mentioned that impact equals outcome over time. Can you maybe tell me more about how, for example, you define what an outcome is at late checkout to start? Yeah, great question. Like if there's any, like there's, there are terms as you go through your career that you realize get like played out or, you know, totally butchered. And I think the delineation between impact outcomes output is one that often just gets thrown into the same kind of witch's brew of it's, it means it's working, but like they are different things. And that's why some people now are all about outcomes over outputs, which I think is like the Amazon saying. People frown on previous work that was written and like Andy Grove still wrote one of the best books on management, high output management. It's in the title, high output management. People will bash that because it's not about outcomes. But when he was talking about it, there was an undertone of this is all outcome driven. He just called it output. And so I think... All that to say is for us, outcomes are the measurable effects or the tangible effects of the outputs. So what did you produce, right? I might have produced a deck for a client or I might have produced a new process for how to, you know, invoice late checkout or how to whatever it may be. That might be the output, but the outcome is the effect that it had on the people involved or the organization. So for us, an output might have been a killer strategy deck with a beautiful prototype of the product and you know all these great animations and everything. We just brought it to life and told a beautiful story rooted in data, rooted in research and rooted in best practices and expertise. That's what we hand to the client. That's an output. The deck is the output. The outcome might be NPS. Maybe client rates us you know, a great rating. Maybe the repeat rate, maybe client resigns with us. That's a great outcome. An outcome might be the client actually goes and raises money. Maybe they have now a deck or a product that they can show 
an investor tough in this market, but they could go show an investor and actually raise money. That's a fantastic out, outcome. Maybe they refer another client. Maybe internally we churn less people or we have a higher in employee satisfaction rate because we did great work and that was recognized by the client and we did it well together. So those outcomes are super important and that's not something you want to lose your sight on. It's not about the output. It's about what it, what it does for you. And then the impact is what that does for your business over time or what that does for the client over time. Got it. So almost like the outcome is laddering into the objectives that you want to solve as a company. Totally. I think objectives is a great kind of proxy or, or like you said, that layer above the outcomes. What outcomes do you need to drive the objectives or achieve your goals? And then the impact is almost like, what is that? What, if you achieve those goals, what happens over time? Like, like at a community level, at a society level, at an economic level, the market level, what actually happens? Got it. And now let's move on to the next equation, which you mentioned productivity equals output over labor. And you mentioned about minimal viable process previously as well. What does smarter mean when we think about working smarter? Do you have a definition of what smart working smart is? Yeah, like there's working hard, putting in the hours, grinding, swinging that hammer faster. You know what it is. Um, And then there's working smart. And I don't think the two are completely separate, but I do think working smarter means doing things a little bit differently to maximize your value, the value you're providing. So like, in other words, how do you maximize your leverage and impact like we were just talking about without just working more hours? What can you do to maximize that leverage that you're providing? So Maybe you're building, you know, uh, a Kanban from scratch or like a, you know, but instead, why don't you just use the tool or use a template that's working a bit smarter. You've just saved yourself X amount of time. You've just now freed your time up to do something else. Maybe you could spend hours trying to figure out an answer to a question that your colleague knows you should have just exercised a little bit of, you know, why, what am I trying to achieve? And then who could know the answer and go there. So it's, It's just about thinking through what you're trying to achieve and then the how, instead of just doing the how with brute force and and hours and time, what are levers you can pull to do it more effectively and efficiently that benefits not only you, but everyone around you. Mm. So I'm going to throw another tricky question to you. What has been your favorite tool? that you've maybe carried through the 11 years of your career or just a tool that you use or a couple of tools that you use currently that help you work faster or smarter? Yeah, that is a tricky question. Favorite tool. So I think for me, the tool, and this is going to be, you're going to hate this answer. And so maybe the <laughs> listeners might hate this answer too, but the tool that I find most helpful is knowledge is expertise. And honestly, like, I know it's a corny answer, but like your best tool in your toolkit is your yourself in your mind. Like, yes, Figma will help. Yes. Slack will help. Yes. Notion will help. Yes. Being better at, you know, writing formulas and Google docs will help or Google uh, sheets will help all of those things. Mastering tools will help you become more efficient at, at using them and therefore unlock more potential from them. 
which will unlock more potential from you. I don't discount the value of that. But the best tool that I've had in my toolkit is like podcasts, books, and my own experience and trying to put that knowledge and experience and expertise together to actually make decisions faster, to you know make less mistakes, to help teach others so they can go do more. Um, so I would say like, how do you just level yourself up to be your own best tool? It's, it's a corny answer and probably not a great <laughs> one, but that's, that's, that's what I've got. Well, I mean, for someone, let's say in product, that's let's say new to the product space in general, what, what do you think is the fine balance between that experience to theoretical knowledge slash expertise from the market? to work smarter in that knowledge space yeah i think there's so much great content out there and so many learnings that have been you know like are you using chat gpt to like literally scour the internet and come back to you with the playbook for a pm at a big company that does xyz and solves xyz problem like you could probably type that in and get a half decent answer i'm not saying it'll be perfect but it will help you make less mistakes. And so I think for early PMs, you're going to one adapt to the tool or the, you know, in, in its traditional sense, the toolkit or the, the stack that a company has, right? If they're using G Suite plus Slack plus Notion or Jira, you're going to adapt and adopt to those. You're, if they're using Microsoft, you're going to, you're going to kind of lean into those. And so I think if they're thinking about tools, go out and listen and learn from the best, source the frameworks, you know, Rice prioritization framework or the Eisenhower matrix or whatever it is, source the frameworks that speak to you in early days of how to prioritize, how to make decisions, how to write great user stories, how to communicate, how to, you know, get to the right problem. Uh, there's an expression I love, which is the right answer to the wrong problem is still the wrong answer. Like, so okay. if you're trying to solve a problem, but you have it wrong up front, everything else is all the features you build, all the recommendations you have are not going to matter because you're not even solving the right problem in the first place. So again, how do you mitigate risk by nailing that first step, using frameworks and using, you know, expertise and learnings from the best in the business and sourcing and creating your own little wiki or your own little knowledge repo of how can I level up? this is like almost a perfect pitch for just this podcast in general. Cause I named it the product toolbox because I feel like go. every PM has a toolbox that they use. Just plan exactly. it out. There you go. <laughs> um, and I know there's like great tools out there to, you know, my mind and others that you use to like source things on the internet and store in one place. And people are probably have their own notion pages or their own website or their own, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, just figure out a system that you can actually maintain more about consistency than it is about what's flashy and new. Um, one that you'll actually maintain it might be a notebook and not the best for crawling and searching and looking back into, but whatever it may be, use this podcast, use other podcasts, like whatever will help. And then take the one or two tidbits from it that matter. And then put that somewhere where you can look back on and use it to level up. I love that. So we've talked, this is almost like laddering into one of the variables that you talked about in your equations, which is strength. Like how do you become a strong product person? But one of your other equations was power equals strength times speed. And with that, let's start with maybe 
especially as you're hiring slash hired, what are the biggest things you tend to look for in a solid team? Yeah, great question. So fit is obviously what you're optimizing for. You could interview the smartest person or the quote unquote most qualified engineer or designer. But if it's not a fit, if they don't like being serial problem solvers and working on tons of different products and like they're not going to fit at late checkout, it's not the right place for them. They don't like working fully remote or working with a distributed team. It's not the right place for them. So fit is what you're optimizing for. And that can look different to many different companies and can look different at different points in a company's evolution or maturity. So what I look for for fit is our, is our core values. So we designed our core values back. It was like one of the first exercises we did after we'd done a couple of projects and hired a few people. I think that's the best time to define your core values as a startup, not upfront, because you don't really know who you are yet. And so our core values, be surprisingly thoughtful, put community first and level up. Those are the three core values. That is what we look for in candidates. And that is how we assess fit. Are they, you know, in terms of being surprisingly thoughtful, do they have a strong why behind what they do and, you know, how they present ideas? We want people to think big, but then think bigger. We want them to do unexpected things that exceed expectations. Like those are the, you know, bullets under that. Put community first. Are you respectful? You have humility. You support others. You also challenge people. Being respectful is also helping people grow and just being, you know, nodding along and saying, that sounds good. And, oh, your work's great when you actually have something to say and it wasn't the best work. Like that's not being respectful. You're missing out on an opportunity to challenge and help people grow and help get the best work. So that then stems into level up, which is we need people to have a growth mindset. We need people to be passionate about their craft. If we hire a designer, we want them to love design. We don't want them to simply do it passively and not care about it and not be interested in it. It's going to be hard for them to show up every day. And it's not even, again, about us and our requirements. It's about, will this be a fit? And it just won't be a fit because of our expectations. Um, being scrappy. We launch a lot of startups. We want people to level up, be scrappy, move quickly. Um, I know there's an expression, haste makes waste. We don't want to move so fast that you, you know, forget a bunch of things. And that's why we have be surprisingly thoughtful as a good tension value to this. Um, but yeah, pulling back, that was a long, uh, long walk for a short drink of water to say that like our, our core values um, are really the best way that we can assess fit and, and kind of hire. Yeah. So it seems like the right people, as you know, Jim Collins once said, one of my favorite books from Good to Great said that getting the right people on the bus is the one of the most important thing for a startup or any company. So I'm hearing that in the interview process, your biggest thing that you're looking for is that value piece and everything will follow. Or do you have almost like a system of values plus X, Y, Z? Yeah, definitely a system. I'd say one call out. I love Jim Collins as well. One call out. Um, like the bus ride is long. I agree. <laughs> like, you know, when you ride a city bus or any bus, there's some interesting characters that get on that bus, but they might only be on it for one stop. Someone might ride it from, you know, for 15, 30, you know, six hours, who knows? And so I think the, the call out on the, on the startup piece is that your bus ride is long and that the right people will probably look different at different stages of the ride. And I would also say that the landscape has changed 
pretty dramatically since Good to Great was written. And since I'm not saying it's not relevant anymore, I think it, it totally is. I would just say that like there's a, been a migration to remote work and also even to project-based work and freelancers where everyone's kind of their own business and going off and doing their own thing and becoming influencers or creators themselves and are open to trying and working on new projects, but just for that project or just for these hours or just for whatever. And so that, you know, our one of our mentalities or one of our sayings is dating before we get married. We want to date before we get married. And so whenever we can do that and bring someone in for a project because of how we operate, we get to assess fit and see if it actually works. And so that does lower the stakes of when we open that door to the bus, we wanna make sure the values are hit and we wanna make sure you have the right expertise. We do a, a hiring challenge or an assignment for folks um, so we can get a, get a sense into how they think and if they're qualified, if they have the expertise and the skills. Then we do an interview where I actually let people interview me most of the time. You get to see what's important to them, how they speak, how they structure conversations. Um, and then if all goes well, we do, you know, core value assessment as well. Oftentimes if possible, without the hiring manager being in the room. So it's someone who's less biased, who's less like, fuck, we need to make this hire because our team needs to staff up. And they're just really assessing is this person like hitting the core values on the head, which was a great takeaway from Airbnb. I love that. And so for me, sure, we can tick all those boxes, but then we still want to optimize for, yes, sometimes we'll take a bet and we'll hire someone in and we'll be full-time right off the bat. But sometimes it's cool. We have a project coming up. We think it's a perfect fit. Come in, come to the community, join us, get into our Slack, run this project with us, see how you do. We'll coach you. We'll guide you along the way. We'll give you the support. And then after the two months, it might be, that was great. We'll see you later. It's not a fit. Or it might be, wow, this was, this was magical. How will you come work for us full-time? And usually that's, that's pretty clear. I assume from, from the start, when you do engage with candidates, you're like, Hey, we're dating right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I've made uh, full transparency. We made the mistake early on of like, maybe not making that like hyper clear early on of saying uh, this is for this project. And if it goes well, we will continue. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll eat that. Definitely. We haven't been perfect in this, but I think we're, we're pretty good now. Um, but still, you still want to optimize for fit. Getting bad apples in is not, again, you don't want the guy on the bus to come in who, you know, all the drugs fall out of his pocket and he's like a dangerous guy in the back. You don't want that person. I'm not saying that's who we're hiring, but you don't want that person in your team. It, it hurts the team. If you pair them together on a project with an existing member and they don't hold their, it's like doing a project in school where the, you know, the person never shows up or never puts in the work. And then everyone else is kind of like, I guess we had to carry that. You don't want to put your team through that. That hurts team culture. And so we are very careful, but we're a little less, you know, cross T's dot I's on everything because we do have this date before we get married. Um, right. Ideology. So that means you mentioned a little bit of, okay, communication upfront, but I know also when you talked about the last of your equation, which is influence is communication plus inspiration, which I think honestly, you and Greg do a really good job at amplifying that voice in, in terms of inspiring people through how you communicate. Let's maybe start with the right amount of information, given that you are having almost like so many people that you are, and I'm saying this in quotation marks, dating. <laughs> and you obviously don't want to disclose too much information in the org, but you also don't want to disclose too little information in the org for them to actually deliver and move 
quickly. What is the balance that you found with your team on what the right amount of information in an organization is? Man, that's a tricky one. Um, I don't know if there is like a perfect or right amount for that's like a de facto answer for all orgs, right? It's going to vary from org to org. It's really dependent on the goals that your org has, how you've structured the business, right? Like us, I wouldn't say at any given time or more. Our core team is, is, is roughly 25. We're never usually more than 27 or 28 um, in terms of people we're dating. We might have two or even helping with you know design or content or whatever it may be um but usually it's the core team and so the right amount is like you need to ensure people know what's happening to a degree that they understand why it's happening have clarity on their role in making things happen but not so much that they're getting like this kind of blast of noise and unstructured information that actually has no signal for them and and just creates confusion because we're trying to get people confident in the strategy, bought in, which, which they are in, in theory to the mission and to why we exist and what we're doing. We're here to connect the disconnected. This is the way we're going to do it this year. The business and the market are, you know, have XYZ dependencies, and this is the state of things. This is what we're doing. This is how this department ladders up to that. Or you, as a designer, as an engineer, or as a manager, help with that. This is our focus for the next little bit. Go out and do that. And then we set up these rituals to make sure people are informed. So we have a monthly all hands where we talk about bigger company topics. We do project kickoffs and retros. We do demo days. We do casual hangs twice a week. We are for two different time zones every week. Um, team on sites, things like that. So I think it's like, how to package up the important stuff to keep your team working on the right things. That's as succinctly as I can put it. Um, and that's not an easy thing to solve, but that's the, that's the challenge of managers, leaders, and, and communications teams is like, cool, how do you tell a great story? Put the right things together that the team needs to know to, again, inspire, influence them, um, create trust, be transparent, but not give them so much from the fire hose that they're like, or like they're drinking from a fire hose so that they have no idea what actually matters and, and what's actually the focus. Um, there was one, I know there's like a saying, communicate until you're sick of hearing it. Um, I, I can't remember where I heard that, but I do believe that's true for things like your values, things like your mission, things like your goals for the half or for the year. I don't think you can over-communicate those. I'm being a little hyperbolic, like for sure, if I said it every morning, like rah, rah, <laughs> let's go be surprisingly thoughtful, I'd be fucking annoying and everyone would hate me, but like there's a balance, but I, I really find it hard to over-communicate those. Whereas like there are other things that you just don't need to, you just don't need to show up from the rooftops every day. Yeah, that's fair. And thank you for this. this. This has been so fun. Maybe to end though, because speaking of drinking from the fire hose, uh, if there's one thing that someone can take away from this conversation in terms of, I want to get better at product management. I want to break into it. I want to be eventually, let's say even a product manager leader. What was the biggest thing that you would give to that person who's listening in right now? Ooh, yeah, tricky one. So um, if I have to choose one thing, it would probably be around patience. 
it doesn't all have to happen right away when you want it. Like you've got a long career ahead of you, assumedly, right? Be patient, like learn things, Matt, like optimize, what are you optimizing for? For me, it was always learning and growth and still is and working with really smart and cool people. And then, you know, over time having impact on communities and helping bring people together. I think that's really important, but what are you optimizing for? Is it learning? Is it growth? Is it exposure? Don't try not to get caught up in the title and yes, the salary, you need the salary to live, but in the salary, in the, in the company name, that might not be as flashy as the other company. Be patient. Focus on what you're optimizing for. Surround yourself with smart people and just work hard and have fun. Like, uh, honestly, just enjoy the ride. Like, it's just such a crazy fucking ride that you just got to sit back and enjoy it. Touche. Thanks again, Theo. Is there any way if people had questions that they can reach you? What What was the best way for them to chat with you? Sure. Yeah. You can always follow and connect with me on LinkedIn. I try and share stuff there once a week on, you know, management and unlocking your team's full potential and just personal development and uh, just starting out kind of sharing more content there and and on Twitter as well. Um, But Theo Taba, you'll find me. Um, If not, you can go to late checkout and, uh, you know, drop us a line and we'll, we'll hit you up. Sweet. I'll put all your links in the description. So feel free to click through it. And uh, thanks again, Theo. We'll chat. Thanks, Isabel. This was fun. Bye.